You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Uh, we're going to begin today a six-week survey of some of the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus often used parables uh, in his teaching, okay? So we're going to look at six different parables from the life of teaching of Jesus. Uh, in Matthew 13, Jesus talks about parables being a way that Jesus has chosen to give his disciples this knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's pretty exciting. It's pretty intense that Jesus would open up for us the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's pretty insightful. But also Jesus says that these parables can serve as a way to keep these secrets of the kingdom of heaven hidden from those who don't first come to Christ in faith. So if, if like you're looking for proof from Jesus or like uh, looking for him to do something to wow you, that's not what these parables are for. Uh, in fact, they may actually serve to kind of blind us from the truth of, of God's kingdom. But over the next six weeks, we're going to look at six of Jesus' parables, and they're all found in the Gospel of Luke. And the prayer is that through faith in Jesus, we will be built up through the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So with that being said, I want to invite our scripture reader to come forward at this time. Oh, what's up? Why it's going to come this morning. We're going to all turn to Luke chapter 15. And if you would stand in the honor of reading of God's word, we'll read from Luke chapter 15. Today's teaching is from Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Thank you. Let's pray together. God, uh, thank you for your word. And we just want to invite you to make yourself known here this morning that through the teaching of your word that... um, it would find its way to soft hearts. That's a work that you're going to have to do. So I'd ask that even now you would soften our hearts to receive what you would have to say to us, show us who we are, and then show us who you are. We pray you would do that in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Thanks for doing that. Thank you, Wyatt, very much. Um, Two distinct groups have shown up on the scene here uh, to hear Jesus teach or to be around Jesus, uh, we saw that, first of all, you've got these tax collectors and sinners. Uh, it's really funny that tax collectors always get lumped in with sinners because tax collectors are like the lowest of the low, okay? So first century tax collectors in Jewish culture were traitors because they were Jews who worked for the Roman government, collecting taxes for Caesar. And they were oftentimes rich. And the reason they were rich is because they would overcharge, many of them, for uh, the taxes owed. There was nothing you could do to get around it. And then they would line their pockets with the proceeds. And so they were hated by the Jews. They were seen as traitors. And these tax collectors and sinners, for some reason, 
are often drawn, just over and over, drawn to Jesus. And uh, so that's one group that's here. But we also see that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are there. And these are guys who have it all put together. Okay, they're not traitors. They're doing everything right. They keep the law of God perfectly, it seems. I mean, like everything on the outside looks really good. Most of them are quite wealthy. Um, They are the who's who of society. Everyone looks up to them. They're religious. They must be loved by God. And so you have these two very extremes of society who are gathering around Jesus. One group is bad and the other is good. And it's not really what it may look like on the surface. And so Jesus being the master teacher is going to seize on the opportunity to teach, and he does it through parables. In Luke chapter 15, he gives three parables back to back to back, and all three are to really hit at these two groups of people. And before we get into, we're going to read the third one today, which is the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son, but I want to set the stage for this before we actually get into the parable itself. A couple of, uh, what was it, weeks, maybe two months ago, I'm not sure, um, my family and I went to Dollywood. We went to, to uh, I don't know if y'all have ever been there, Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge. Is it in Pigeon Forge? I guess it is. Anyway, so there's a theme park there, Dollywood. And in Dollywood, there is an eagle, bald eagle habitat. I didn't know this was true until we got there. I think I took a picture of it. There's a picture of, a, yes, there, okay, a bald eagle, majestic bird, okay, totally amazing. And in a cage, you see that right there? Like there's a cage around this eagle. Okay. So there was dozens of them and they were everywhere. There were bald eagles everywhere. And, uh, it just got me to thinking because at student leadership university that we take many of our students to the eagle is their mascot. So we like hear about eagles all the time when we go to SOU. So I, I wrote down a couple of things that we've learned about bald eagles, uh, from SOU. I'll give them to you. Okay. Bald eagles can have a wingspan of over eight feet. Okay. Mostly females. Females are typically bigger than males, but anyway, they can fly over when they're migrating over 200 miles a day. They can fly over 200 miles a day. They, when storms come, eagles tend to soar above the storm. That's a pretty cool thing about eagles, by the way, a little leadership lesson there. They can soar up to 10,000 feet up into the air and they can spot prey from over a mile away, okay? Now, my eyesight, I actually have pretty good eyes, but I have trouble making out who everyone is, maybe in the back row. An eagle can see small prey, okay, from over a mile away. And when they spot it, they can dive down to that prey at speeds of over 100 miles an hour. They are majestic. They are glorious. I remember being on Lake Norfolk uh, back this last summer, and we were rented the pontoon. We're scooting along across the water. And I ain't lying. Uh, this this eagle, bald eagle, like comes out of a tree and like comes it's right up behind our boat. And I'm like, whoa, you know, it's like so amazing. Like, God bless. That's what I felt like doing. America. But anyway, it's like, wow. Thank you, Lord, <laughs> for America. Anyway, so, uh, no. anyway, they're majestic and they are made for soaring. And while, like, this habitat at Dollywood, they're not mistreating bald eagles, okay? They're not capturing wild eagles and, like, putting them in cages. What's happening is, is these eagles are all injured. They have reasons for being in there. They're caring for them. If they can set them loose in the wild, they do. Some of them are permanently injured and have to stay in there. Okay, so that's what's going on. And while I am, like, really thankful for habitats like the one at Dollywood, just know that no bald eagle is born longing for a life in a cage, Okay, that's not what they're wanting. They were made to soar. Eagles were made to soar. And an eagle will never settle for a sparrow's nest. 
They were made for the open sky. They were made to soar. And you were made for God. You were made to know him. You were made to love him. You were made to enjoy him. Psalm 16, verse 11, David says that in God, he finds both joy and he finds pleasure in God. Did you know that you were created to be happy? You were made to be happy. You were made to flourish and that this happiness and flourishing is found in God. But we have all believed the lie. The same lie that Adam and Eve fell into in the Garden of Eden. And it is the lie that true happiness is actually found somewhere else. When Satan comes to Eve in the Garden of Eden, he tempts her by saying that the reason God doesn't want you to eat this fruit is because he knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like him. In other words, God is holding out something good from you. He's keeping the best away from you. And if you want to experience real life, then you need to try this. It's found outside of God. And she believed the lie and fell into sin, as did Adam, as did all of us. So we've fallen into these lives of constant sin terminated by death. It's not the way things were meant to be, but we've all gone our own way. We've all broken God's law. We've all established our own kingdom, kicked God off the throne of our life and made ourselves king or queen of our life. And because of this, the world we live in is broken. Now, I don't need to give you evidence that this is true. It's obvious to everyone. There's not a culture in the world that doesn't agree that something is wrong with us. Something's wrong with the world we live in. It's why every religion everywhere believes in some kind of higher power, and they all believe that we've somehow offended it. And that's why every religion in the world has some kind of system to try to get our way back to God, to somehow appease God or the gods, because we all recognize that there is something wrong with us, and we are all, according to the scriptures, all guilty. You are a sinner, and not just you are a sinner because you sin. In fact, the reason you sin is because you are a sinner. Just like the reason uh, my dog Chester, I talk about, I feel like every time I'm up here, but my dog Chester barks and like marks his territory all in my house and, and uh, you know, whatever he does, he, he does dog stuff. And the reason he does dog stuff is because he's a dog. He's not a dog because he does those things. It's his nature, it's who he is. And we're the same way. We all sin because we're sinners. And there's two types of sinner. You got one that is a real obvious sinner. Like everybody could point that out and be like, bro's a sinner. <laughs> this guy's blowing up his life. Like everybody can see that. Even people who aren't Christian can see this guy right here is totally wrecking life. But then you have another type of sinner that's a little more subtle. One sinner is overtly sinning. One is covertly sinning. And both of these groups of people are with Jesus today. In Luke chapter 15, both groups are present. And so Jesus launches into a parable uh, in Luke 15, verse 11. I'd like to read it to us, to get, like us to read it together, because in it, he's going to talk about both of these extremes. Look at Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. So Jesus continues his teaching. He says, there was a man who had two sons. 
the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and yet here I am starving to death? I'm going to set out. I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and found. So they began to celebrate. And meanwhile, the older son, he was out in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he calls out to one of the servants and asks him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied. And your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, after these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So we have three characters that Jesus puts before us in this story today. First of all, we have the younger son, the prodigal son, who has disrespected and totally disowned his father. He goes out on his own, taking his inheritance and blowing it through uh, wild living. He completely lacks discipline. He blows his money even on prostitutes, we see, and winds up bankrupt. And I would have to imagine there may be some here today who are, like this guy, blowing up their lives. Like you've believed the lie that true life, true fulfillment is found in lesser things. And you're looking everywhere except to God, to find happiness. And I would also assume that at the end of the day, like this younger son, you find yourself empty. And there are three things 
There's probably more than that. But three things I want us to see that we can learn from the sins of the younger son. The first one is that my sin hurts people. Look at verse 12. Right out of the gate, he says to his dad, he says, give me my share of the estate. Now, this is something that would normally happen. It would, it would be coming to him. It would normally happen upon his father's death. And so in some way, the younger son says to his dad, you are as good as dead to me. And I could only imagine that this has profound impacts on the father, that this is emotionally difficult, that like his son who he loves so much is going to leave, doesn't care for me, doesn't see any value in being with me. Not only that, but it's going to put a strain on the family business, the family farm, because now you've got one less person uh, who's doing his job, pulling his load. Not only that, but he's taking some of the resources. I don't know, half of it, a third of it. I'm not sure exactly how much but he's taken some of the resources away. Just know this, that it's impossible to sin in a silo and somehow it not affect those around me. Just know that no matter what the sin in your life, know that it affects other people. Like it it affects your family. It affects those that you care about. But not only does my sin hurt other people, my sin hurts myself. Look at verse 14. It says that after he had spent everything, there was this severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. Hmm. So he goes out and acts like a fool. He blows his money, and this is interesting. He blows it on wild living, and I would assume that um, he felt like pretty popular for a season. I would assume that like it was pretty fun for a while, but in the end, he winds up bankrupt because he's been foolish with the resources he'd been given. And when he's bankrupt, notice that he is in need, like he's hurting. This is a man who has now gotten to a point in life because of the choices he's made where he's literally trying to find a job and is happy, or not happy, but he's taking, willing to take a job feeding pigs in a dude's farm. Now, no disrespect if that's your job or whatever like that, but I know it's not where you're trying to get to in life. And he's not either. Either I mean, he's sunk down like to a level he did never expected to be. In fact, he doesn't have anyone around him. Look, and it says that he longs to be fed with the same kind of slop that the pigs are eating from. It says there's nobody there for him. Nobody there to give him anything. And so my sin hurts other people. But my sin hurts me. And so I got to know that God is not some kind of like tyrannical being out there that's trying to somehow rob me from the good life or keep the good life from me. But know this, that God is a good God. He's a loving God. He desires that you would have life. And he knows that that can only be had in him. And so therefore God's laid out like ways in his word that this is how we should structure our life and live. This is how we should not structure our life and live. And yet Satan comes along is like, mm, God's lying to you there. You should, you should try this out. But in the end, our sin hurts ourselves. The third thing we learn from the younger brother is that my sin is always going to leave me somehow dissatisfied. It's going to leave me empty. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the writer there talks about Moses and says that Moses refused to like indulge in sin and indulge in the, what he calls the fleeting pleasures of sin. So there is this truth, this reality that sin can be exciting. 
It can be fun. It can actually make you feel good pleasure for a season. But in the end, the scriptures tell us it leads to death. And if it's true, check this out, if it's true that God is the source of all happiness, and if it's true that sin cuts me off from God, then it must be true that sin separates me from happiness. Sin ultimately always leads me to dissatisfaction, to a lack of happiness. But not only the younger son do we see him on display, I mean, like he's the one that most everyone talks about, but there's another character here worth looking at, and that's the older son, the older brother in the story. This is the guy who appears to everybody around him to have his head on straight, okay? This is the good son. All right, he does everything he's supposed to do. He is wise. He is careful with his money. He appears to value family. I mean, he honors his dad. He sticks around. He's in the field every day. In fact, when this story happens, where is he? When the uh, younger brother comes home, he's out in the field where he's supposed to be. He's doing the stuff he's supposed to do. But as Jesus opens up this story and the layers of his heart are starting to be peeled back, we find out that he's actually full of pride. He actually looks down on his younger brother. He is uh, never the one to go after his younger brother when his brother uh, wanders off or runs away. The older brother never seems to ask about the younger brother. Is he okay? I mean, none of those things. In fact, when the younger brother comes back home and is treated with such kindness, he is angry that his younger brother is okay. And not only that, but he seems to be blind to his own condition. And by the way, this is the brother that I definitely most relate to. Because there are some of us in the room who look just fine on the outside. And that was me like growing up. Um, that's probably me today too. I mean, just look great on the outside. I was honestly, this can be uh, taken the wrong way. I don't want you to take it like I'm, I'm bragging on myself. I'm just telling you, I was the model child, okay? <laughs> like I was every parent's dream. Uh, growing up, you can ask my dad. So I never did anything wild or wrong. I mean, I did wrong things. Of course I did. I mean, I remember one time I uh, was mad at my sister because she wouldn't move and I was trying to vacuum the floor and I picked up a vacuum cleaner to go over her head and it sucked her hair up into the vacuum cleaner and I was like trying to pull it out inside. I was like really glad because she deserved it. And when it finally, my mom runs in there, she is bawling and has a huge bald spot on the top of her head that lasted for a long time. And I thought she deserved it. Okay. Um, that just shows you that's the kind of guy I was. I was vacuuming the floor yet at the same time, I'm like, uh, you know, despising my sister and glad that she has a bald spot for her friends to see. So that, that's who I was. Okay. Not only that, but I was a master at seeing the flaws in other people. Like I was full of pride, uh, full of, uh, um, arrogance. And again, like I say, like a master at spotting sins in others. And so that's what we, and there's some of you here today that are probably relate to that too, feel a lot of that too. Like maybe you don't have one of those radical testimonies where, yeah, I used to be like snorting this and shooting that and doing all that. You don't have that. And you're like, you know, I don't really, never really done anything bad, you know? So you feel like you're doing good, you're successful, maybe you have a nice family, you're a moral person. But if you were to peel back the layers of your heart, you might find something quite ugly uh, perhaps some bitterness, unforgiveness, pride, jealousy, a judgmental spirit, maybe an addictive personality or secret sins, perhaps an addiction to things that like if they did come out, it would be quite ugly or embarrassing, addiction to pornography, 
for example. Maybe you're a gossip or you slander others, uh, yet others see you as a respectable person, and so the world applauds you, but really you're far from God. And there's some things we can learn about the sins of the older brother too. Uh, number one, we can learn that our sin can be, can be really hard to see. Our sin can be really easy to see. It can also be really hard to see. Notice verse 29, the way he responds to his dad. He says, all these years I've been slaving for you. That's interesting he would say that. First of all, what's he doing? Well, he's justifying himself uh, to his dad. Like, dad, like I have been doing good. All this time, I have been doing the right thing. There's nothing wrong with me, and yet you don't celebrate me. But notice the word he used there. All these years, I've been what? Slaving for you. Well, the word he uses here literally means I've been treated as a slave for you or by you. It's interesting he would say that because what it seems to me is that a little bit of what's on the inside is starting to to show itself here. And so like as he is talking to his dad, even defending himself, the, the root, the, the truth of what's going on in his heart starts to come to the surface. And what's crazy um, about my heart, your heart, it's the way it works. Like it can be really deceitful. And so that the person, uh, like the older brother, again, like me, can have a really difficult time seeing their sin or, or acknowledging it. So Jeremiah 17, verse 9, Jeremiah, the prophet says that the heart, this is the crazy thing, the heart is deceitful above all things and it is beyond cure. Who can understand it? So I have a way of like going about life. It's quite possible for me to like have sin in my heart. And I like this older brother, he's not like waking up in the morning saying like, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to do it. And like, like intending to hurt his dad or anything else. But again, his heart has deceived him. And then the second thing we can learn from him is that my sin will lead oftentimes to bitterness. It can lead to resentment. It can lead to broken relationships. Verse 28, look at all all this is from his response, okay? It just starts just coming to the surface. Verse 28, he became angry. Uh, Why did he become angry? Well, he's coming up to the house, okay? He's been out slaving in the field. That's what he says. Slaving in the field all day for his dad. Uh, And then as he's coming to the house, he hears a party going on. He's like, I don't remember... a party scheduled today. I don't, maybe it's a surprise party for me. So he uh, catches this other worker outside. Hey, what's going on at the house? And the guy's like, hey, your brother, you know, the one you love so much, he's come home and your father's received him back and they're all celebrating inside. And boy, that's when it starts coming out. He became angry. Uh, verse 29, he uses that term, I've been slaving for you. This had to have been hurtful to his dad. And so here we see some of that bitterness that he has, not just towards his brother, but even towards his father. And we see this brokenness in the relationship. Verse 30, look at the way he talks about his brother. Okay, He says, when this son of yours squandered your property, I mean, like he's just laying out the case against his brother. But what did he call him? This son of yours, not this brother of mine. And then, and then, Look at the way the father responds back in the last verse that we read. Like we had to celebrate because why? This brother of yours has come home. He was dead. How do you say it? Um, what's that last verse? I'd have to go back and read it. Do you have it? I don't forget it. That's how the father uh, addresses his son, this, this brother of yours. So somehow there's a fractured relationship. And our sin always leads to these broken relationships. 
A third thing we see from the older brother is that my sin can keep me from the celebration. Uh, what's really terrifying about this story, uh, Jesus is primarily speaking to the religious people around him, okay? So again, there's those two crowds around. Jesus has been teaching. In fact, right after he gets done with this parable, he's going to go to the disciples and speak to them. But primarily in these three parables of chapter 15, Jesus is speaking to the religious people. And what's happening is he's trying to expose to them, hey, here's what's on the inside. Uh, And it's kind of like this, okay? So I have this bottle here and watch what happens when I put the squeeze on this bottle. Oh, did you see that? Oh, wow. Boy, that was a little more than last time. Uh, what just happened? And what just came out of this bottle? Water. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank what? Water came out. How, oh, amen. How come coffee did not come out of the water, of the bottle? Because there's, that's right, Bentley, there's no coffee in this thing. Okay? The reason water came out is because when it was squeezed, water, water was in it. And therefore water came out of it. Here's the thing. What's in, what's down in the well is what comes up when we get stirred up. Okay. It's what, like when, when the, when life puts the squeeze on us, what's in the heart is going to come out and begin to reveal itself. And that's exactly what happens here with the older brother. And because that's down in the well, because that's it, what's in the bottle, our sin there, it keeps us from this life that God has promised that he's made us for. It's like the eagle in a cage. We're missing out on the soaring life that God has. And so what's so terrifying is Jesus is talking to these religious leaders. And this story ends with the younger son inside partying it up with his friends and family. And the father going outside pleading with the older son to come inside. And there's no resolution to the story. This story ends with no account of what happens to the older brother. We don't see if he comes inside, if he turns away from his sin or not. But do know this. The good news is, is that the father's heart gets put on display as well. And I'm going to look at that as we close. So not only do we see uh, some lessons from the younger son, not only do we see some from the older son, but we have some things that we need to see from the father's heart here and his response to his two sons. He responds to both of them a little bit different because everybody's different. Okay, the father's not monolithic, like treats everyone exactly the same. He comes, you're an individual and he loves you individually. And look how the father treats the first son, the younger son. Uh, one, he longs for the younger son to come home. The father sees the younger son from a long way off. Okay, so if you remember back what we read, the younger son came to his senses while he's feeding pigs. He's like, I, I could have a better life if I will... Uh, maybe dad will be nice and say like, okay, yeah, you're not a son of mine, but I will hire you back. Okay. And so I'm going to go back and say, dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son, but I just want a job. That's all I want. And so he rehearses this speech. I would imagine on the walk home that he's rehearsing what he's going to say to dad, imagining what dad's going to say back to him. And because he's believed the lies about where the good life is found, I would think he's expecting dad to maybe be tapping his foot, maybe wag his finger and say like, I told you this was going to happen. See this, I told you, I told you that this was going to happen. If you went and like blow your, your money, if you treat me this way, you deserve it. But that's not how the, the father responds to the younger son. In fact, we see that the father sees the younger son while he is still a long way off. Now, how is that possible? Well, there's an assumption being made. So I'm making an assumption here, but I would assume that the father was waiting and looking for the younger son to come home. 
I would assume that the father didn't just by happenstance hear about it, but it, it seems to me that the father is out on the front porch waiting day after day after day after day for his son to come home. And then what happens? What's the second thing we see? Well, he demonstrates this undignified, unashamed, crazy love for his son who's coming home. Okay, so dad's standing on the front porch, and when he sees his son who is still a long way off, what does he do? Well, he does, he does something that would be unheard of for a first century Jewish man, okay? And that is to start running, to start running, okay? It was a really undignified thing. You didn't do that. You had to kind of pick up your britches, you know, and kind of run like that. People didn't wear, uh, you know, pants so much then. Anyway, so he's like picking up his, whatever you call it, britches. Anyway, he's picking it up. He's running. He is running to his son, and he doesn't care who sees it, okay? He is undignified. He's unashamed of his he feels compassion, it says. And when he gets to him, what does he do? Punch him in the face? No, he throws his arms around him. The son starts like giving this uh, prepared speech. He interrupts the speech. He's like, yo, hold up. We're going to have a barbecue. Okay. Like he, he not only does that, but he puts a robe around him, puts a ring on his finger. What is this? Like, well, this is a family ring. So like this son who's coming home, the father embraces him into the family. He is, a, he is a full-fledged son of this father. And he, he receives like all the rights of sonship. He's not like a stepchild now. He's not like on the skids and having to prove himself or anything like that. He receives all the love of his father. So the father is waiting for him to come home, longing for him to come home. He demonstrates this undignified, unashamed, crazy love to his son. And he celebrates his return. God does not receive. If you're a sinner who feels so far from God... Know this, that God does not receive you back with reluctance. He doesn't do it like, well, I'm God. I'm supposed to be compassionate. I guess I'll take them back. I don't, I mean, I don't want to, but I, I mean, it's who I am. I guess I'll have to. No, like it is who God is. He longs for you to be here. And when you come home, he celebrates, throws a party for you. Not only does he celebrate, the Bible tells us all of heaven celebrates with him. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who comes to repentance. Let me tell you this, God will throw a party. And so if right now you're one of those who feels so far from God, there's no way God could love me. There's no way he could forgive me. If he knew what I did, let me tell you this. He knows exactly what you've done. He knows who you are. His, his eyes penetrate the heart. Okay. He knows exactly what's in you, what you've done, why you did it. And know this, that when you come to him, there's, oh no, excuse me. When you're in that place, there is a lie that's being whispered to you over and over. So you can't go back. You can't go back. He won't receive you. You don't deserve his love. Jesus, Satan is called literally the accuser of the brethren. He stands in the ear of God, constantly whispering like, look what he did. Look what she did. Doesn't deserve your love. But know this, that's not who your father is. But there's a, uh, something we learn from his response to the older son. Look with the older son. The older son won't come into the party. Okay, so this party's going on. Dad is so happy. There's a huge celebration going on, but he notices something during the party. Where's your older brother? The sun's gone down. There's no more work to be done out in the field, but the older brother's still standing outside. And so we see that the father moves to the outside of the party to where the older son is. Hear this, that if you're like me and you're one of those who has sins that others don't see, know this, that the father's not afraid of that. 
He knows right where you are and he moves to be where you are. You know, we read uh, from uh, Jeremiah just a second ago, 17, 9, 1 verse 10, we see that the father sees the heart. Okay, and so know this, the father knows exactly what you do. He knows why you do it and it doesn't scare him away. He moves towards you. And not only that, but he gently reveals his own heart to the older son. So remember the older brother, he's like, dad, don't you get it? This son of yours, you know, he has squandered all your money on prostitutes and he doesn't deserve to be here. But the father with gentleness, he doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't like, like uh, tear him down or shame him for his feelings. But instead he reveals his own heart to the son. He's like, listen, we had to celebrate because this brother of yours has come home. What's he doing? Well, he is inviting this older brother to take on the same heart that the father has. The father has a heart of compassion and love for those who have turned to him uh, and repented and, and turned to him. Yet this older brother doesn't, doesn't feel that. He ain't there. So the, the father is gently revealing his own heart to, the, to his son. Thirdly, we see from the father that he invites this older son in to the party. There is an invitation that he come in and join the celebration. Do you see that there? It says that he goes out to him and entreats him or pleads with him to come inside. Now the boy resists, but know this, the father invites you today not to hurt you, not to harm you, but to lead you to life, to lead you to more life. So there's hope for those of you uh, who are far from God. There's hope for those of you who may seem on the outside to be like you've got it all together. Know that both of you, no matter where you are on the spectrum, if you're way over here and you're you know, like wild, like everyone knows that you've blown it. Or if you're over here and everyone thinks you're great. Or if you're somewhere in between, just know that God is the one moving towards you. He pursues you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, we see that while that God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead, just like that younger son, we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive. He moves towards us. He makes us alive. How? With Christ. He makes us alive together with Christ. So there is hope for younger sons. The hope is that you would come to your senses. So we saw in the, uh, the parable today that this younger son, while he's out there and life's just not working for him, like his way is not working. He eventually comes to his senses. And know this, the scripture is really clear that when the good news about Jesus is proclaimed, that there is a work that the Holy Spirit of God does in the hearts of the hearer where he can literally like raise a dead heart to life. And this is the same idea of coming to your senses. John chapter three, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus and he says that like, if you want to experience God's kingdom, you're going to have to be born again. And Nicodemus was a religious guy too. He's like, you're going to have to be born again. Well, what is that? Well, in other words, like this, you can't do that. You know, the spirit of God's going to have to do that in you. But know this, there's nobody here so far from God that he can't do that for you. So the hope is that you would come to your senses and know that when you do, he will make you a son or daughter. You're not going to be some stepchild on the outside or someone who is like a second class follower of Jesus. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 tells us this. It says that he who did not spare his own son, we're talking about lavish love. 
He did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. The overt sinner and the covert sinner. If he did that, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So if you feel like the furthest from God in this room, just know that he, along, along with Jesus, will graciously give you all things. And there's good news for the older son in here. Know that the father will meet you right where you are and that his voice is loving and gentle. He, when he exposes the, the, the deep, dark parts of your heart to you, know that that's done in love because he's inviting you to join the party. He's inviting you to experience the life that you were made to experience. Which is why James chapter four, this is a passage for us older sons. James chapter four, verses six through eight. He quotes some Old Testament proverbs saying that God opposes the proud. That was me. But he gives grace to the humble. So therefore humble yourself or submit yourself to God and resist the devil and the devil will flee from you. Look, uh, go to the next one here. I don't have it written down. Yeah, come near to God. He'll come near to you. Oh yeah, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's this idea, especially in America, that I can have one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot like in the world's way, the American way, the American dream. I can experience both. Just know this, that that's that's a double-minded life. And, and the father is pleading with you to like, hey, no, both feet firmly in God's kingdom. Believe him. Don't believe the lie. Believe him that true life and satisfaction is found only in him. And that is why every week we come to this table up here. We have communion every week because we need reminding over and over and over that it's the kingdom of God that we're truly longing for. Even when we, I don't remember who the guy was that said the, I mean, it's a great quote, but he says like every time that someone even knocks on the door of a brothel, he's seeking God. Like deep down, what it is that we truly desire is God. And so if you have never experienced the love of God in that way, if you've never become a Christian by placing your faith in Jesus, turning away from your sin and embracing Christ, know that that offer stands here for you today. Whether you're an overt sinner or a covert sinner. That offer is extended to you today. And we're about to take communion, but just know this, like that's not gonna help you. So instead of coming up and taking the elements or taking communion, we would invite you to take Jesus as your savior. And we'd love to talk to you about how that could happen. Maybe you wanna talk to one of these people over here on the side who are, who are uh, here to pray with you. Maybe you'd like to come to one of the pastors or someone who uh, you trust, who is following Jesus and see what would that look like for you to take the step of faith and follow Christ. For those of us who are following Jesus, know this, that we do come to this place, this table every week because we are like leaky cups. And even though we've been filled with God's spirit, just know that throughout the week, because we're still in the flesh, it's just leaking out all the time and we need a fresh infilling of God's spirit. And so just know this table is, table is open for you. Let's stand together. Uh, the band's gonna come. We're gonna sing together and celebrate who God is and who we are in him And as they're coming, those who are going to prepare the elements can come too. Uh, And then those who are going to be praying over here on the side as well. And as they come, I'm just going to pray over us. um, And then we'll celebrate together with this meal. Let's pray. God, thank you that your heart's been exposed to us today. That you have a heart for the least among us. But you have a heart for those of us who... um, 
maybe are in the building every week, uh, but don't have a relationship with you. Like we're missing out on the party and your heart goes out to both and uh, you're the one who made the move. We don't have to be afraid that you're going to cast us away. Like, thank you, Jesus, for giving us this parable so that we can see the truth of, of what the Father's like. And I would pray right now that you would remove any uh, lie that anyone may be tempted to believe that, that this gospel's not for them. But this is good news for all who would hear. So give us ears to hear it. Give us a, a faith Uh, repentance so that we would believe it and experience it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.